Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, Heath, Seth, and I sit down for a point-blank episode, and we are diving deep into the mange issue that is spreading across the Appalachian Range. Heath is going to talk about it from the standpoint of being a Virginia resident and what he knows, the things he's hearing on the ground there in Virginia, and then Seth and I will come at it from wildlife professional angle seth being a um, wildlife biologist by trade and training and education and me from a wildlife professional standpoint 
based on my experience as an Indiana conservation officer and the wildlife training I had there. So, folks, I've caught some of these bears. I've seen them up close. It's pathetic, and it is something that we all need to get behind to find a solution for this issue. Yes, we're spending a lot of time in Virginia this week, but there's a lot going on there, and there's a lesson there, or at least things that we can observe and learn from when issues come up in our own states. Guys, I've been doing this a long time, and it, what we learn from the way Virginia is handling this is very similar to all the way all wildlife issues are handled, and we're going to boil that down in this episode. Guys, the Old South Dog Box is rocking. We got to get this tailgate down, get this one unpacked. This is Houndsman XP Podcast, and it's point blank. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. All right, so we are gathered here for a point blank for Houndsman XP podcast. And we've got so much stuff going on. We've got rally points. We've got circle points. we got... We got Point Blanks, where we all come together and recap what's going on in our hound hunting world. And I'll tell you what I got going on. Can you guys guys see this jar? Pickles. Pickle mania. Man, that is pickled sausage. And it's it's wild hog. And we got jalapenos in there. We got, let me see if I can find some onion. Get some onion in there. Got a clove of garlic in there. The only thing in this jar that I did not personally harvest off the land are the pepper seeds and the vinegar. Wow. Yeah. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's it's good. It's real good. So first time I ever had a pickled egg, I was 28. They are delicious. You wouldn't think so. You didn't get it out of the gas station, did you? No, my friend made them. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't have mattered either. I can eat anything, broken glass, and it'll come out the other side looking good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's looking healthy. (laughs) It's like gas station sushi. Well, hey, let's let's do some introductions, make sure everybody knows who's here. You know, I'm I'm the regular host of the Houndsman XP podcast, Chris Powell, and we've got the uh, modern American mountain man, Seth Hall. What is your handle on social media? Now it's call me Spispa. I changed it from the new American mountain man because I was tired of typing that out because it's like this long. <laughs> yeah, Seth is putting together a lights out show called All Mixed Up that's coming out once a month. You've been killing it, Seth, uh, on that on that uh, show and getting a lot of good feedback on it and the production's on point, buddy. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, and I hope everyone likes it. Yeah. Are you enjoying doing it? 
Yeah, I'm loving it. I I might I'm a I'm a man that has many interests, and so all mixed up allows me to kind of just run around wherever my heart wants to go. And uh, I've been really enjoying that. Reaching out to people that um, are hunting with dogs or hunting with animals that hunt with dogs and just chatting, which is kind of what the tailgate talks are, but a bit more elaborate and a lot more produced. So yeah, um, your production, been, your production's on point on that thing. Uh, I, I've been having a blast with it. Yeah. So I want to keep going with it. Yeah. And then we got Heath Hyatt in the house, the host of the, wow. the journey on Wednesdays. And, uh, man, sometimes, sometimes I feel like that, uh, you're playing chess and I'm playing checkers when I hear you, <laughs> when I hear your guests talking and, and, uh, bringing this great information and then the way you are, you're overlaying it and bringing it back to the hound hunting community is just, just amazing. You know, dog training is dog training. Um, is I'm always playing catch up myself, but it, if you understand dog behavior, you can put it in any realm of what you're doing. Our dogs just perform different tasks, basically. Um, you know, whether they're running the hares or bears, coons, lions, or whether you're doing obedience or agility, um, it's, it's all the same thing. They're just performing a different task for us. So if you can break it down that way and just make it, it's simplified, it seems to make things a lot easier. Well, I can tell you that adding the journey to the lineup of Houndsman XP has helped me. It's kind of drawn me back in to focus on some basic stuff. It's just like when you're dog training, you know, if you're trying to teach something that's a little more advanced and you see a problem, you take a step back, you know, you go back to the basics and then build off of that. And that's what I found myself doing by listening to what you're, you're talking about. And I'll give you an example of that is this little Yog Terrier I've got here. Um, you know, I walked out, I, I walked out of my little makeshift studio here and I'm looking around for him thinking, where's he at? And I walked in the house to ask the wife if, if she knew where he was at. She's like, oh yeah, he was, he was walking with us and he's up by the, he was up by the pond the last time I saw him. I'm thinking, oh crap. So I just yelled for him, did a recall, look up towards the pond, which is 330 yards away from me. And there's this little black dot just tearing ass down the trail to get back to the house. <laughs> you know, I mean, just full bore. And that's all based on me refocusing on the basics that you talk about on your show about recall, food reward, you know, harnessing, capping the drive, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's awesome, Heath. Well, I mean, I hope people enjoy it, but I mean, if you lay a good foundation, your house won't fall. I mean, that's just the way it is. And if it's as 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 dogs trainers in general, and I see it in the police world a lot more. Um, once we get a dog doing A, B, and C, we like to skip. And I've said it a thousand times: we skip around and. You know, then we start, you know, we're next thing we're at G and then we're at M and we end up at Z and we, sometimes we have to go back. And if that foundation is solid, you'll, you'll be fine. But if you short, shortcut things, that's when you start having problems. And, um, you know, the dog's always going to cheat you of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And last, but certainly not least dealing with some technical issues 
Lauren, can you hear us? You need to unmute your mic. If you're going to talk, you need to unmute. Still dealing with technical issues. Yep. <laughs> you have it right there. Right there it is. The mother of all chaos. The chaos queen. You got it. You got it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll catch you up later on everything that's going on, Lauren. You get, Lauren's been killing it in the bear woods. All right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Lauren. A little technical issues there from Lauren, but I can tell you that Lauren's living the life that I wish I was living, you know, as far as her hunting and where she's got her dogs right now. She's having a blast. She's posting all that stuff on Brew City Blues and on Houndsman XP. I mean, it's just, I'm envious, envious. So what you got going on in your, what well, you got going on, Heath? Well, I'm pretty much wrapping up my fishing um, season for a little while. Uh, took the girls to Smith Mountain Lake yesterday and caught a bunch of striper. And we had a big fish, fish fry this evening. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to head north. I'm going to go up to New York, spend a few days chasing some bear and taking these young dogs and see if I can get them pointed in the right direction. And then Monday, the first, uh, Virginia season comes in and I mean, two months of hunting and I'm going to try to hunt as much as I can. I, I ended up, ended up having, being in a couple of schools. I got to go to Orlando in August to the, um, hits canine seminar which is handler instructor training seminar uh, so i'll be down there for the week a week in august and then i have to go to tennessee for a investigation school in september so there's two weeks there then i'm kind of going to be out so i'm going to try to hunt as much in between and hopefully the weather cooperates because it has been hot 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 here Ugh. um i mean it's a, it's a human i had planed off a toilet seat the other day <laughs> It's bad. <laughs> so, yeah, it's bad. So let's hope it, it cools off a little bit. We've got some storms coming in this week, and hopefully next week it'll cool things off where I don't stroke out and the dogs don't stroke out. What's the humidity percentage there, Heath? Um, Without looking at a weather app right now, I would say it's probably <sighs> – well, a couple of days last week, I know it was up in the 80s. So, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's bad. The we dew were, point is very, yeah, it's bad. We were complaining about it being uh, 38% humidity. I was like, oh, it's so muggy. Ugh. My humidity <laughs> here right now, Seth, is 87%. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, that's probably about right. I don't uh, know. I'm trying to look at my... Yep, 85. It's 85 here right yep. now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 91 a, degrees and 20%. And that is, that's nice. That's I, can, really nice. I can deal with yes. that. And that's what a lot yep. of people don't understand about weather and humidity. And, and this ties directly into, uh, you know, olfactory and stuff that you've been focusing on, Heath, is that all affects scent. That all affects. So when you're talking to somebody that's from the Southwest, 
and somebody from Virginia is talking to them, there's a little bit of a disconnect there when you don't understand dew points and humidities and what that actually feels like. Because, you know, the time I spent in the Marine Corps at, at Camp Pendleton, it was completely different. You know, we'd, we'd have a black flag training day that when it got up above 95 degrees and I'm, I'm from Indiana and I'm thinking, dude, it's not even hot out here. <laughs> Your sweat works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely changes things. Um, like I said, the humidity is moisture in the air and like I said, moisture can help us or hurt us. So yeah. Yeah. Seth, but that's what gets to? you though. Tuh. Speaking of heat, I've been up to nothing. When it's hot out here, you can go outside. It's funny because everyone's like, it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. I'm like, when it's 111 outside, it doesn't matter if it's a dry heat or not. You go out in the sun, you're not in the shade, you're dead in an hour, straight up. And yeah. so, you, you know, right now it's really cool. It's only about 91. Our monsoon seasons are rolling in. We're getting yeah, average rain. I wish we were getting a little more. Um but the western part of the state where I hunt and the southeastern part of the state where I hunt is getting really good rain. And I do a lot of citizen science because I'm a nerd like that. So all summer, all I do is prep for hunting season. I'm out scouting. I'm spotlighting to get population counts. I'm uh, setting out my rain gauges all around the state. I go check them to see kind of like what rain's been happening. Here's a pro tip for everyone. If you can put a rain gauge out, a cylinder rain gauge, all you have to do is put a light layer of mineral oil about a quarter inch deep in your rain gauge. And when the water comes into the rain gauge, the water will go underneath that mineral oil, obviously, because they don't mix. And that mineral oil will keep your water from evaporating. So well, you can get a steady long-term uh, long rain gauge and you don't lose water to evaporation. So you're getting an honest tell of how much rain has been getting in an area, even though I only check them every two months. That is crazy because that, that was going to be my next question is like with that low amount of humidity, what good is it doing? Because it should be evaporating out there yep. as fast. But that is cool. I like that. Yep. So I use a two inch graduated rain gauge and then it has a five inch cylinder around it that can hold like many, many, many inches of water. Go put it out in a secret spot where you know it's going to get a good catch. And then you drive out there and check them examine your habitat, see what's going on, check for hair sign, do a night survey where you spotlight on a transect that you have set so you get a consistent result every time because you can bias your results from going to uh, non-random areas or even just random areas. And you want to make sure you're consistent and uniform so you can get a more consistent idea of what your population is like and then compare that with your rain. And I'm hoping to build a years-long aggregation of when there's this much rain, this much humidity, this kind. And I take pictures of the grasslands so I can compare that data to when these population cycles are boom and bust to try to get a better prediction of when the hair populations are going to be really good. Because well, I'm a nerd. Does it have? <laughs> that's cool. That's why, that's why you're here, man, so you can be nerding out on stuff. Does it have to be mineral oil or could you use like an olive oil or something like that? You know, believe it or not, um, a lot of times what we use is transmission oil. Because oh. it's very lightweight huh. and it's red, so it's easier to see the difference between the um, yeah. uh, the water and the transmission oil. But I use mineral oil because it's not gross and it doesn't stink and it works fine. We use it at my research range and they've been using it for over 100 years and it works great. I, a cylinder of water can evaporate where I live in one day. Right. So if you don't have the mineral oil, it's gone. So yeah, and then you just go check it every like two or three months and you're good to go. So, Heath, let me get your opinion on that. 
you know, as far as obviously Seth's running side hounds, so he's not worried about mm-hmm. moisture for scenting in the ground, but how could that be beneficial to a scent hound houndsman and um, uh, try to figure it kind of, kind of draw that parallel there. Why houndsmen in the Southwest should be looking at, at rainfall. Well, I don't know that I have a good answer for that because maybe my knowledge for hunting in that area is not well enough. Just based but, just based on olfactory and how a dog's nose works and how scent interacts with the landscape. Well, it should help if they're getting moisture. It should help. I mean, it should. And, and if it's not evaporating, <laughs> it should be holding the scent for them. So, you know, that should make things. That should make it easier for the dog. I, I would say, and I mean, just in in theory, you know, the dog wouldn't have to moisten his nose like ariel talked about there'd be a little bit more moisture there and you know, the dog wouldn't have to do that as much but i feel like if you know it's kind of I, I vision that as like dew laying in our tracks as you know yeah. that dew will help us um you know a, a seven hour old track dogs run it like it just come out of there because of the moisture so i feel like that should help um, but then again, if it evaporates at that fast pace, then their track should not be laying that long, theoretically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, what I was asking was, you know, how could a houndsman from the southwest benefit? Well, I guess in the, even the east could benefit from knowing rainfall, moisture, and then draw those parallels. You know, one day you go out or maybe one month you're out hunting and you have any rainfall um, and and you're struggling, your hounds are struggling, and then the next month you've tracked some rainfall and for a while there you, you've got good scenting, scenting conditions. Well, I can, you know, from experience, because I know two years ago um, we had a very dry fall. The mud puddles up on the mountain were pretty much non-existent. Um, it was very dry the leaves and stuff were just brittle. If we weren't running good tracks, most of the tracks that we were, were striking or running were pretty much already up and moving where last year we had plenty of moisture and the dogs could get down and trail. And we weren't, we weren't running those, those hot tracks as much. We were still running good tracks, but there was definitely a difference in the way our hounds performed. I mean, there was a, if you, if you look at it in that perspective, there was a big difference in how the hounds performed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Virginia, I think the hottest topic on the landscape right now is, um, uh, what's going on Virginia with the black bear population. And, um, um, Let's talk about mange and uh, the 10-year management plan. So who's got, who's yeah, got info so on it? Zeth, you want to roll first? Oh, man. I mean, I can just lay down the basics of what mange is, but uh, I'm going to let you take the lead. That's your state. And uh, I do have a good friend who who's a biologist in Virginia, and uh, he's been inviting me to come hunt bears for quite a while. So I'm thinking, Heath, 
we have a jamboree and I just go around the state and we hunt some bears together. But for a quick point out, everyone, mange is actually a mite. It lives in the, the highest level of the skin in an animal and it causes intense irritation. And that's why the animal's hair falls out is because they rub that hair out and the, the body's immune response causes these um, callus-like formations to form and on the dermis, which is the top layer of the skin. And it makes that crusty, scabby, awful surface as the animal also irritates that skin and is constantly rubbing it out. It's extremely infectious. We all know that. But it is actually a mite. It's the same um, family tree that has spiders, ticks, and scorpions. So you so, say you say it's highly infectious. Is it the what's infectious? Is it being spread from the mite, or if a bear has got pus running out of it and it rubs up against another bear, is that causing it, or is it a tra actual host transfer of the mite? Yeah, great question. Um, I was a little vague there. Um, so it's spread by contact with infected bedding infected areas that animals congregate and it's the the body fluids have nothing to do with it it is contact with other animals physical contact or again contact with areas that an animal that is carrying mange has just been in recently and the mange mites are on the ground and another animal rolls in that area or it contracts the mites that way okay so uh, yeah so it's and the mite the mite it actually infects bedded areas or residual areas where bears congregate and then the mite latches onto a new host the sarcopathes yeah. mite latches onto the new host and bang you've got you've got the spread of mange yep exactly and that's why um as we urbanize and wild areas become smaller this is a classic example of when animals are congregating in certain areas these kinds of diseases run like wildfire through the population especially when a population's overpopulated and um not managed to be more sparse so that these kinds of contact diseases don't spread yeah yeah so yeah and i'm reading a brochure right now that uh, um Virginia Bear Hunter Association passed out Saturday and basically said everything you said about the calls um, and the transmission that it does say that mites can transfer to new host when unaffected animal comes into direct physical contact with an infested host. Um, so that's, that's exactly what you're saying. And you know what, it's kind of contradict, kind of contradicting itself is because it says, you know, bears are pretty solitude animals. But we all know that if you bear hunt and you go into an oak flat, that there may be multiple bear feeding in that one flat. So, That's your problem. Um, you know, that, that causes your problem. And it does say here, um, you know, how, how do we prevent the spread of mange? Discontinue feeding bird feeders and deer, feral cats, any other wildlife. Um move outside garbage or compost to, to containers where they can't, you know, come in and out, which wouldn't draw them. Um, and basically, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. They're supposed to have a meeting on this on the 31st, Chris, yeah. or the 30th. Yeah. Let me look at calendar real quick here, but it should be, uh, should yep. be the 28th, it, 20, the 28th, the, the, no, that's on the 10 year management plan. Well, I might be talking about something different than you are, Heath. I'm talking about the uh, uh, American Bear Foundation, formerly known as the Western Bear Foundation. 
There is a chapter, a Virginia chapter of the American Bear Foundation that is going to host, and by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be old news, but they're hosting that event uh, with a biologist from Virginia to to discuss management plans and Maine specifically. Yep. And just looking at the map real quick, um, this was a map from 2020. Okay, That's so it's recent. a couple years outdated. But it has, so you guys up in Northern Virginia, uh, the further south it is is in Bath on the West Virginia line, Highland County um, on the outskirts of Augusta and Albemarle. You got Rockingham, you know, Madison Page, all the way up into Rappahannock, and then as it goes north, just about every northern county in Virginia has got a sighting, either a capture uh, or some type of, um, uh, well, yeah, sighting and capture. So let me see, 2020 is the red ones. Yeah, pretty much everywhere from Harrisonburg up. And when you go west, east, um, Spotsylvania County, it don't go past there. So from Loudoun from Frederick all the way down to Highland, Augusta, and Albemarle. So it covers that area. If you're in those areas, there's been sightings or a capture of bear with mange in that area. So well, I want I want to talk about why we're talking about this on this podcast, because this is a good opportunity for bear hunters across the United States to observe how a state agency is going to handle a, a, a severe outbreak whether I don't care whether it's a distemper outbreak in raccoons or it's a mange outbreak in, in bears or a rabies outbreak in the eastern United States, the pattern is the same of the way that governments approach and handle this sort of stuff. So that's why we're talking about it on this podcast. It's not it's not a, um, a secluded, isolated incident in Virginia. You know, this is an opportunity for hunters across the United States to observe how this is handled and learn the process. And um, the the thing that I want to ask you, Heath, according to the map that was put out by the Virginia Bear Hunters Association, you're saying that most of this is up in the D.C. belt, that, that heavily populated <clears throat> populated area? Uh, well, no, I mean, you're looking around, um, Harrisonburg, which from there north, um, but the highest concentrated areas, uh, no, it's going to be around Charlottesville Okay, on 64 corridor. And then, you know, if, of course, if you go up 81, um, but Loudoun County is the, there's a case, looks like a case in Prince William and Falk Air County, Rappahannock. Um, yeah, I mean, those areas now for Frederick, Frederick County has got several. So that is the North, Northwestern tip of the state, mm-hmm. um, for, for the, for the state of Virginia up in towards West Virginia. So I get, yeah, that seems to be the more condensed place. So is, is that areas, uh, a heavily populated area that has got a lot of, of, uh, urban development, urban sprawl yes. 
Yep. Okay. So that. Yep. Sort of. I mean, you're you're looking on the outskirts of DC. You know, you're an hour less than an hour, forty five minutes out of DC. The parallel I'm trying to draw here is those are areas that are very difficult to bear hunt in and manage populations. Yes. Yeah. Very few bear hunters up in that mm-hmm. area too. Yeah. That's where Ariel's up from Frederick. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and there's just a handful there, but most of those guys, you know, they'll hunt over into West Virginia cause they're right there on that, that tip. And, and that's one thing that people from West Virginia and Maryland should be paying attention to is it doesn't stop at the state line. You know, the mains might didn't care. We we chased a bear last year in West Virginia, all the way over in uh, Barber County, that was pretty thin haired and was showing the onset of mange. So, the parallel I'm trying to 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 draw here for this show is areas that have low hunter density. And, and things like that are more susceptible to the spread of this because we can't effectively manage the population in those areas. Is that accurate, Bingo. Seth? That's perfect, yeah. I was going to say, too, is exactly what you were saying, is, is pay attention how Virginia is handling this for its strengths and weaknesses because this is not going to just stay in Virginia. It, luckily, this isn't kind of like an epidemic disease that can spread by the air it's directly correlated to overpopulation or over density of bears on a certain area. But pay attention because this is exactly how the process works to keep hunters, you know, hunting and managing a resource. And, and I agree fully with what you're saying, Chris, it's a direct correlation between density and disease spread. Mm -hmm. So in these areas where there's very little hunting and bears are concentrated on feed sources, it's going to be way worse. Hey, have you guys heard of Dogs Are Treed? That's that company that we keep plugging on this podcast because Dogs Are Treed supports your lifestyle. And they do that by contributing to all kinds of hound associations across the United States. But the way they really do it is they produce products that are useful for you and your hounds. When you look at their products like Dogs Are Hydrated, You're going to keep those dogs hydrated in this hot, hot weather. And then paws are protected. you got to keep a hound on its feet if you want them to keep hunting. And then their tie-outs, their premium tie-outs are out of this world. we just been talking about them on social media and stuff. You know, literally, uh, Lauren says she can get dogs out of the truck and tied out in under five minutes. We're going to have to see a video on that. But check out Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com. Enter that promo code HXP20% off. You're going to get 20% off your order on the best gear in the industry by the best company in the industry that's producing high-quality gear for you. Check out Dogs Are Treed. Also, check out Freedom Hunters. Fall is coming, folks. If you haven't made plans with me yet, to coordinate a Freedom Hunters event, take America's heroes, our returning veterans who've coming off active duty, recently home from deployment, or somebody that's a veteran or a Gold Star family member that wants to get into hunting. Freedom Hunters is the thing to pursue. I've been on several of these events. They're high class or high quality. You heard Seth talk about going to uh, Canada, British Columbia with Freedom Hunters. He had a blast. We did a whole episode about it. You're missing the boat. If you're not paying it back, check out Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org. 
Yep. And it's just, it, I'll tell you right now that, that this is what concerns me about this issue is when you have a density problem and wildlife managers are trying to get ahead of it and they're answering to a lot of different parties here. You've got, you've got, um, the hunters who I would probably say that the bear hunters association is, um, well, I can just say that the us as houndsmen, I enjoy being able to come to Virginia and put my dogs on five bears a day. You know, that's, that's cool. I love it. You know, and, um, like Canada. <laughs> yeah. But wildlife managers have to look at it from the standpoint, wildlife management has grown into this, this thing of managing people and all users. And when somebody develops a piece of property and now you've got somebody moving from the DC belt out into these urban areas and think they're living out like Grizzly Adams on the landscape and their neighbors, you know, because it's a country neighborhood, they've got to deal with that problem and they bring those misunderstandings and problems with them. So they, they have bear problems in their trash. They have bear problems when they can't take their fur baby for a walk without encountering a bear. And so you're dealing with those density issues that, that can cause a lot of, uh, intrinsic problems to, you know, real wildlife management, Seth. And pay attention hunters. Cause this is the flagship example of the, one of the most powerful tools for managing top predators like bears. Because everyone has these, you know, mistaken and and warped views of these really charismatic animals. And just like every other creature alive, they need to be managed properly to keep them healthy. Even people that are not hunting don't want to see sick bears. Nobody wants to see sick, sad, hairless bears. And the only way in the 21st century to manage these animals is to do exactly what we're talking about. And there are many people that want to legally and ethically harvest bears to keep bears happy for everybody which in turn keeps you happy too people that aren't hunting yeah yeah i it's it's one of those deals where you look at the north american model for wildlife conservation the first tenet of that model is wildlife is a public trust and it's for the benefit of all wildlife to benefit the public <coughs> and when we start um you know, the person that did move out from the Beltway, they moved out there for a reason. And that's okay. But they need to have the understanding that um, you need to manage the populations of these predators. So, Heath, what's the, uh, what's the general, I mean, what's the chatter going on in Virginia about this? It's obviously a big issue. You guys are paying attention to it. Just your general bear hunter. Uh, what are they, what are they, what's the chatter on the, on the, on the net? Um, I mean, from the meeting and then the guys that I hunt with and hunt around, I mean, I, the general consensus is they're worried about it destroying the population. I mean, it complete completely wipe them out. Um, and you know, we've, we've talked about this on podcasts before, you know, back in the mid nineties, when I started hunting, you treat five bear a year, you had good dogs. And, you know, I would prefer not to have to go back to that. 
because that was a lot of boot leather, a lot of walking, um, and a lot of disappointment. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the bear hunting now is it's enjoyable. I mean, if you hunt hard and you've got decent dogs, you can tree a couple of bear a week. Um, so it, it's people are worried. And I was just looking at a um, uh, online thing about the where they have spotted it, and actually they've updated it, and it's down in the Nelson County, which is another county south. So that's just, you know, four county, five counties up from us, which is not a lot when you talk about bear territory. So um, we have seen mange a time or two over the last 10 years, and you, you'll see one case a year, and that's it. You don't see any more. Yeah. Um, I don't want to see 10 or 12 cases here um, because – Again, I don't want it to destroy our population. Yeah, and it's not like a hare that can bounce back. We are, Our population was annihilated, but the reproductive value of a hare and a bear is a lot different, you know, and I get yeah. why you'd be really nervous about that. Well, talk, well, talk a little bit about that, Seth. I mean, educate us on, on that point because um, I think your average townsman, we've all bought into it. I mean, I've even done it with raccoons here in Indiana, um, trying to determine male and female and population control based on harvest of sex. So you want a, a breakdown of how to manage the population better, basically, yeah, or I how mean, those uh, dynamics work. The dynamics of harvesting females for the benefit of the overall health of the population. Yeah, yeah it's typically taboo, you know, to harvest females, like you were saying. And yeah thing is a, a bear and again i'm basing this on litter sizes in the west here but a bear typically has two or three cubs and so when you harvest a female you're not really taking out one bear you're taking out three from next year mm -hmm. and so you know the way most western states manage your population is you're able to take this large number of males and you can only take a small amount of females and that unit is closed right and that's because you when you're taking out females it's a compounding effect of removing multiple individuals in the wildlife biology world, especially like in school, the, the phrase is sperm is cheap. One boar bear can go around and impregnate the entire neighborhood of females given enough time and rest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, you take these female bears out and you're removing that pressure on that area and obviously that ability to bounce back. And so, you know, bears only having one litter a year and she's only having two or three offspring in that year that she's raising. And mortality of those cubs ranges massively due to tons of different you know contexts and i'm not sure what the cub mortality rate in virginia is but i'll tell you right now and this is what surprises most people the number one predator of bears is other bears it's mm -hmm. not people and male bears come out of the den hungry in the spring and a lot of things they're looking for is cubs because the females and the males will be congregating in areas where there's similar areas of resources. And uh, there's a tiny little snack hanging out with that mom bear. And <laughs> I'm a lot bigger and stronger than her. I'll just whip her and eat those little popcorn shrimps running around. But anyway, yeah. So for managing a population in times like this, you know, when legislation is made to balance the population better, it's actually probably not the end of the <clears throat> world to be harvesting some females to reduce that population in a sustainable way over time. And I'm curious to see what you know, the Virginia Department of Wildlife is going to do with that female harvest limit if they're going to bump that up to knock down that population long term. Because if you're just removing tons of males, 
in the season, that's a very short-term fix of the population. So you want to balance out that sex ratio of harvesting to get a more long-term sustainable population reduction. Heath, you're shaking, your, let me give you're, you're shaking your head. Let me give you some numbers and tell me what you think. So this is last year's black bear harvest in Virginia. During the three-day early season, so we just got this season five years ago. We can hunt three days at the end of September. The total harvest was 306 bear. 10.2% of them were male, or um, were 49% was female. Whoa. Youth and, youth and apprenticeship day, so we have two days. It was 88 total bear taken, 58% females. Whoa. Muzzleloading season. 39% females. Archery season, 47% females. Firearm season. Now, this is between rifle deer hunters and then hound hunters. 42% females. To me, I feel like those are really high numbers for females. Yeah. And something that you didn't say that we probably should elaborate on is that a female will not have cubs until she's three years old. So if you're taking those 110-pound females, you're killing a female that probably has never reproduced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then young so ones. What do you think about those numbers? That's shocking, first of all. But that's that's a good point that you point out, that these are probably young dispersing animals that are looking for a territory. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and that's something I never even thought of. You know, obviously... I'm a small guy, a small game guy, and I my animals of choice are ready to breed by four months old. So, you know, it's it's it is a good point, and I was shocked at those percentages. Wow, that's you, I mean, but the population there is is really intense compared to what I'm used to as well. If you had those levels of female harvest where I live, you would have no bears. So, right, right. yeah, and I've I've and you know we run into an issue in Virginia um, too is like Chris alluded to earlier is a lot of our complaints and stuff come out of the subdivisions and the housing developments where we have overtaken their territory. Um, some of these areas you can't hunt with hounds period. And I don't know how we balance it to get it where it's a great point. You know, there's a happy medium. Yeah. Um, but they open season for everywhere and we're still having the problems in the housing developments and yeah. the subdivisions. Um, so I, I don't have an answer. And I kind of like what George Patton says. You can come to me with a complaint, but have an answer when you come to me. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have it. Um, but uh, well, anyway, we were, you know, I'm just looking over the numbers here. And I, I'm like you. I'm not a biologist. I would love to talk to a biologist and ask them what these numbers mean for us long term. What I, what uh, I see happening... Uh, there's a few things that I see happening and, and um, something that I think we can, we, as houndsmen, obviously we're going to, we're thinking long-term, like I alluded to earlier, I enjoy being able to go out and have plenty of bear when I come to Virginia to put my hounds on. It's great. I love it. But the thing that the Western states do is they will have regions and have quotas based in the region. So you take that northern region of Virginia and you say, hey, we got a population problem. And we also have a hunter density problem here because our hunter numbers are lower 
we've got a high population and we've got a low number of bear hunters. So you raise that quota for that region in the northern part to include the harvest of more sows, more of the female bears. But you get down to where you live in south, where the density isn't as high, then you adjust that a little bit. And it's like, okay, this area right here has a good solid density. So we're going to set our sow quota at this point. And I know that quote term quota scares the crap out of Eastern bear hunters because we've never dealt with that before. You know, it's just season dates. It's open this date. It's closed this date. And we haven't had a quota. But like if you hunt in the White Mountains of Arizona, when we were out there, we were very judicious about what we harvested in our party because we didn't want to close the season down based on a quota. Bingo. You know? So that is the difference between east and west but we have to adopt some things that are effective from the west and and eastern wildlife managers indiana included you know we have a deer season and it opens this date and it closes closes this date and then we gather the data afterwards whereas the western states are a little more progressive in tracking their harvests and making decisions based on that so they're being intentional based on regions there is no reason why Heath, you and your party should be operating under the same rules as Northern Virginia when you're hunting completely different territory, a different population density, and a higher uh, user density on uh, hunter hunter density on the resource that you have. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, there, you know, you posted on the Houndsman XP group today and uh, they're having the, the 10 year management plan. Um, the, uh, the guy's going to be on there Thursday night at six o'clock. Everybody should join in and listen and kind of get a, uh, an, an ear of what's going on. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like I said, we hunt national forest. We don't hunt, we don't hunt private property. Um, we hunt mostly on national forest and, you know, if the food source is good, we have a good year. If the food source isn't good, they're all on private property, and we don't have a good year. So it changes from year to year with us. And, um, yeah, if they're having the problem up, up up in northern Virginia, I mean, that's probably where they should concentrate on fixing that problem there. And maybe they do operate better, different than us. And maybe, hopefully, maybe that will come out of this meeting that they're having Thursday night. Yeah, for sure. So on a lighter note, what is the food density, the mass crop look like in, in where you're at? Because I'm going to be over there. <laughs> um, so the hickories are on the trees. Um, of course, you know, up in the mountain, we're, you know, a couple weeks behind. Um, cucumber trees look good. Uh, the berries are in full bloom here. Um, I haven't, the pokeberries and stuff aren't ripe yet. But uh, it, it looks good. It looks, you know, we hunted a different mountain range last year because the food was over there. I think where we hunted at during training season last year, uh, looks like there's some white oaks hanging. Yeah. So hopefully that'll help. So I, I'm very optimistic. Me too. Me too. Uh, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let's kind of wrap this segment up with, with what, do you guys feel like would be the most effective 
way for our hunters to get involved in this process. Because we all know that um, if they don't get involved, they're going to be sitting on the outside looking in and sniping from Facebook and different places saying DWR doesn't know what they're doing. And, of course, they never showed up to a meeting. So what recommendations would you guys would you guys give on this? Side? First thing I'm going to say, and I know this is an, the, a no-brainer, show up. <laughs> they're advertised. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you have the ability to see they're going to have a live talk on Facebook about this exact topic. Also, Heath had a brochure. He just showed it to us on his webcam. There's available media given out by these departments that help you get informed on these things. And the best thing to do is just stay current with your Department of, Wild, of Natural Resources website. They're going to give you this information on these things. You can make a quick phone call. That's very easy. I missed a meeting on the Havelina rules and regulations that I really wanted to go to. All I did was call my local Department of Game and Fish building down here and, and boom. They filled me in. They gave me a PDF. I read everything I needed to and got caught up. And they answered any questions if I had any. So just just using the simple tools of the internet that we have at our fingertips and you know, staying tuned to a show just like this that's helping everyone get the word out and where to go. And also take some time to learn the the biology of the animals you're hunting to in a little bit more of a intricate way, and it'll help you learn how to be a more effective wildlife manager and most importantly, how to be an effective communicator to other people, especially non-hunters, makes you uh, closer to your quarry and it makes people, you know, value hunters more as more in touch with wildlife. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. That's perfect because that's what this show was built on about us taking back the control on the narrative. And we can't talk about, it does no good to talk about something when you're talking foolishness or you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So when you can develop the communication skills and develop that narrative and know where to communicate and where you can communicate most effectively, that has much more validity to it than, than social media. So Heath, you're on the ground there in Virginia what advice would you give your fellow Virginia bear hunters from the old Dominion state? Well, I mean, I think Seth said it right. And even in the meeting last week, um, when these forms come open and when the DWR put out, you know, the section for public comments, we have to educate ourselves on what's going on. First of all, um, you have to be professional. We've got to comment. We've got to show up and, you know, the, the bear hunters are a very small organization. If you look at the other organizations throughout the country, um, you know, the deer hunters, I mean, they, I mean, they way supersede what we are. Um, so we've got to, we've got to get involved, show up. You've got to comment when they put this stuff out. Um, and we've got to educate ourselves on what's going on and what we can do to either get ahead of the issue or, to not cause the issue. That would be my take on it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that was told to me, um, it stuck with me from the Georgia wildlife federation was if you're not at the table for these discussions, then you're on the menu, you know? I so that. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. And I can tell you that, 
DWR is going to take action to resolve this issue. Okay. And if we don't show up and we don't make our concerns and our voices heard, that doesn't mean they're not going to do anything. They are going to move forward. And, and my friends and, and the information I have from Tennessee, they faced a similar, it wasn't a mange issue. It was just a, a landowner human wildlife conflict situation where on the edges of this habitat where bear hunters were hunting, you know, they were seeing this, this influx of bears coming down into croplands and, and homeowners. And they were getting, answering all these calls on this human wildlife conflict between bears and people. So they implemented extra season for archery hunters that could sit over baits and, and different things like that. So, it, it brought people out of the woodwork that were normally just deer hunters and they were opportunist type hunters that were willing to go out there and sit in a stand over a pile of bait and shoot a bear. Well, for the guy that's been feeding, breeding, hunting hounds for generations to see that, I mean, it's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow for them. But I just... If you don't show up, they are going to take action to resolve this issue, and you may not like it. So it is in your best interest, if you're a bear hunter, to set the time aside. This meeting, the meetings that we're talking about, of course, this podcast is coming out after that. This is just the beginning. It's not the final deal. You need to catch up. You need to get involved, and you need to find out how you can can have a voice in in the process. Couldn't agree more. And getting organized, getting yeah. part of your local chapters, you're strong together. Yeah. One person is weak, but together you're strong. Well, it seems like we're, I think that pretty much sums that up, but uh, it seems like we're kind of focused on Virginia right now. But the other issue I want to talk about is the right to retrieve law that is under attack in the state of Virginia. Heath, what do you have on that? Um, I probably don't know as much as I'd like to, but yeah, the supposedly it's going to go to um, court. It's going to have a hearing next month in August. And basically from what I've gathered, um, now I haven't done my research, so I don't want to misquote something, but um, a group out of California who fought the trespassing law over the picketing um, has come down to the landowners here and landowners have sued the state over the right to retrieve. Um, being in law enforcement, the, the difference that I see, and I hope it helps us instead of hurts us, is standing on somebody's property to protest or picket um, is completely different than retrieving a piece of property. And, you know, that's what we are doing. We are retrieving our property. Our hounds are, you know, they belong to us. Um, I don't know how the court's going to go with it. I, I don't have a clue. I don't really know what the argument is going to be. Um so my fingers are crossed and I'm hoping that everything works out. And if it doesn't, it's going to change hunting in Virginia um, for what, what I've known my whole life of hunting. <laughs> so, and you know, one thing that, that I really try to do is I try to, you know, form some type of relationship with the landowners. Um, you know, some people just don't like, them. you know, we just, they just don't like hunting. 
and that's okay. That's 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 their belief, and that's that it is. But I mean, I don't have to go up on a property and cuss and carry on, spin tires and threaten, and you know, tell them what I'm going to do. Um, you know, you got to try to build some type of relationship, um, and hopefully, we don't have to come to the, where we don't have that right. And I'm hoping it doesn't, but I am worried about it because this is something that we fight pretty much in a year year in and year out is the right to retrieve so i mean again i think it goes back to what we said earlier too you know the places that we used to hunt are housing developments now and you know housing complexes and they've developed them and you know we're just kind of getting pinched more and more and more for areas that we can hunt um, and that hurts us as a whole too so right Right. You know, the whole right to retrieve, I think we need to break that down a little bit. Um, most, a lot of states do not have that ability or a right to retrieve. Um, so a state that does have it, it's a big benefit for hunters. And I experienced this last year when I was hunting with you. You remember that day that, that my hounds crossed the AT and got down into that private property? You know, so yep. here I am coming over the mountain and man, that dude was steep coming off that face, uh, coming down through there and, uh, I'm tracking dogs and it's like, man, they're, they're right in. I thought they were bayed, but I thought, man, I should be able to hear them. So I get down over the mountain and I get down and I'm walking, following the garment and boom, I find my dogs pinned up on this guy's deck of his house and uh yeah he 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 caught my dogs he lured them up what? onto the deck of a two-story house and had the gate closed and had my dogs contained on this deck now there's a lot of different things we could talk about there thank goodness that he just did that you know he when i got there he was just like hey you know your dogs came over this is pri the first thing he said is when i walked up there is this is private property and we don't allow hunting here i was like okay i understand that he's like your dogs ran the bear down through my yard and and we saw the bear come through and then me and my son went out there and heard the dogs coming and, and caught the dogs and put them on the deck i was like okay but and this is no fault of you guys or anybody in Virginia. It's just a wake-up call that we hunt that same area. We'll hunt that same area every year, and we know that guy is there now. So between the end of bear season and the beginning of training season is a time to stop in there and say, hey, we're going to be bear hunting. We had a, We had a deal here with you last year. Uh, you know, to build that relationship now, me trying to build it on the steps of this guy's house. When the first thing he says to yeah. me, when he comes out and says, <laughs> this is private property and we don't allow hunting, buddy, I don't want to be here. I wish they'd have caught that bear on top of this mountain, but they didn't. And so now I'm here. That's not the best time in the world to resolve issues. We can do a lot of that work in the off season. And we know those houses are there. Same way with coon hunters and, and, and everybody else. So what do you, what do you, what well, do you have think, to say? I think the biggest issue, um, you know, I grew up in that area and, you know, there was a time in my life that, 
I knew everybody that lived in that yeah. area, everybody by name. Um, but we have a lot of people moving in from out of state, from different areas. Um, you know, our population is growing. And that seems to be where we have the issues that maybe they don't understand our way of life and the things that we do. Um, but again, I think, again, I think that's where we have most of the people that we have issues with are people that's not local. They're not from, you know, that area and they didn't grow up there. And, you know, you don't know them by name, you know, or hey, who's your dad? Oh, my dad, so-and-so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that way of life is slowly deteriorating. Um, it's not, you know, people don't even know their neighbors anymore. I mean, how do you not know your right. neighbors? Like, I, I mean, I moved here in my house, you know, six years ago, and I can tell you everybody by name and have their phone number that lives within a mile of me. Yeah. But that's just the way I am. That's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. And, you know, that's just, that's just who I am. But yeah, so that's, that's an issue that we have to overcome. And like you said, I think building those relationships in the off season um, is is crucial to us saving and preserving the 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 life and the sport that we love to do. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that house was a newer house, and uh, I got picked up there from somebody else in the party, and they parked down the road at somebody's house that had lived there for the last fifty years. You know, and I walked down to that house uh, and mm -hmm. the person that picked me up, I'm not going to drop any names, but, you know, they said, hey, I just parked down here because this guy's lived here forever and and he knows what's going on. But the guy up at the end of the road, he had no clue what's going on. So what I what I what I'm telling you is Wesley and Forrest need to get off their butts and get up there and talk to that guy and tell him we're going to be. They need to start fixing some brownies <laughs> and taking people. <laughs> That's right. Man, if I got to go over here to. Mike's garden start stealing the maid is I'm gonna start dropping the maid. <laughs> I just did I just yeah. did that the other day. We got a new landowner. I got a, a place where I've hunted for years, and it's uh, uh, a little. It's a big farm. I got two huge farmers on both sides of of this. Uh, probably I think it's probably about ten acres. It's built in the end of a wood lot. I had good relationships with the old owners, but I've got some new owners that moved in there. So I took them some jalapeno jelly and some tomatoes the other day and said, hey, I'm going to be doing some damage control for raccoons in these cornfields from these farmers. And from hunting here over the years, I know they're probably going to run by your house or I'm going to be parked out by the road. And they were like, what are you doing? And I told them, they're like, well, those coons come up here and eat our cat food all the time. So have at it, you know, but if I would have been, <laughs> if I would have been standing out there at one o'clock in the morning, they don't know what's going on. They see a strange vehicle parked down by the road and in a place that they don't normally see a vehicle. It's, it's you, it's human nature. You're going to want to know what the heck is going on and it's not going to be the most conducive situation for you to resolve problems at that time of the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So that's right. What else we got to agree more. What else we got to talk about? I mean, I, I think we can wrap this up, but about, you know, right to retrieve again, that's something that we need to look at and we need to see how Virginia is handling it. But the call to action here for houndsmen is 
to to understand the process and get involved, contact your uh, well at this point when since it's a a, a judicial case, it's going to be a little hard to get involved. Well, then that's you know that's something that they said in the meeting too was, you know usually it's a legislative side so we can talk to our representatives and we can kind of show up out show out in numbers and show that we're that this time it's out of our hands like it's in the court system you know the judge is going to make a decision and you know we have the appeal process that can be peeled up um you know all the way to the supreme court but let's hope it don't yeah. go there let's hope it have to go yeah there. yeah yep. what else we got what else we need to cover we just need to make the time travel faster so we can get to the cool seasons quicker. That's all I'm thinking about. And I hear I'm like you. A, I'm like an addict. I'm stir crazy right now. I can't even stand it. I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of canning green beans and peppers. And <laughs> I've been posting that stuff. You, all, you can grow stuff. All yeah. I can grow is cactuses. I was talking <laughs> to my wife about that the other day. I was like, man, that weather down in the Southwest is so awesome. And I would love to live there and not deal with all this humidity but in order to grow a tomato down there, you've got to build a bed and invest in topsoil and water. And, you know, there's a lot of effort where I can just go out yeah. and scratch some dirt and throw a plant in the ground and boom, I got tomatoes. Here's the thing, though, and this is the truth. If you live down in the river valley, the soil is insane. You yeah. can just scratch into the ground and things will just explode into life. But where I live, it's like the Sahara. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, you better be raised bed and pouring the water to them and shade. Listen to all the Eastern gardeners out there. When you read a package of seeds and it's like, this plant likes full sun and you're like, oh, cool, full sun. And you throw it out on the ground here and you like start watering it. They don't mean full sun here. Full sun here is part, part shade anywhere else because I have a little laser gun that you can um, like point at the ground. It gives you a temperature. It's a temperature. thermometer that is like a range directional one. And when it was 111 at my house, the sand was 142. So no plant can survive Holy in that. Except smokes. Except for plants Ooh. that are evolved to live here, yeah. which is cool because I, I grow a bunch of crazy, weird, exotic plants. And, uh, and your indoor <laughs> you know, grow. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I moved my indoor grow outdoors now. I'm taking advantage of the free <laughs> sunlight. <laughs> yeah, you got saguaro cactus and all kinds of crazy stuff going yeah. on back there in your, yep. your shaman area bam the shaman zone it's a shaman zone, zone. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i can yes. tell you you know when you're talking about that direct sun intensity of the southwest and you know, we had a bunch of uh, uh guys in boot camp when you step off the plane and you go to boot camp in san diego you know they the jo old joke was hollywood marines because they give you a uh bottle of sunscreen and a pair of sunglasses when you step off the plane and um but we had some guys that didn't use their sunscreen and i'll never forget this dude his name was soroka and he was from illinois and uh that guy blistered up the tops of his oh. ears his lips his nose because he didn't use his sunscreen and the drill instructors started calling him private chemo <laughs> I mean, he was a freaking wreck. You know, Dude, my brother's a ginger, so this son can obliterate him. Woo. He just gets more freckly. At one point, he's just going to look like digital camo pattern. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we've covered. I know it seems like we focused on Virginia, but but uh, a lot going man, on. There is. Here. I can't believe you've let things derail that far in Virginia, Heath. I know. I gotta get. I gotta get on the ball. <laughs> let me tell you something, Chris. You want to move to New Mexico? The weather here is insanely nice, except the summer. But I'll tell you what the best thing is. I was just talking to a friend of a coyote hunter, my friend of mine who lives in Texas. Right now, their drought is insane. Everybody, like the drought in the central yeah. southern plains, all throughout the Great Plains. This is like record-setting drought. But where I live, that's what we need right now normal. in this economy. Yeah. Exactly. And there's been huge cattle sell-offs in Texas and stuff. It's really sucky. Um, but like where I'm from and where I've grown up my whole life, I don't even think about these things that normal houndsmen have to deal with. But like I don't have ticks. I don't have fleas. I don't have mosquitoes. Like we can sit outside on my patio year-round never get bit by a mosquito. I haven't been bit by a mosquito in years. You know, you I mean? come and back so, to Kentucky to see family. <laughs> yeah. I walked out when I was in Kentucky in the summertime. I walked outside and I was just like, Ah, I forgot mosquitoes <laughs> exist, and I was just getting swarmed. They're the worst. So anyway, um, that's why you need to move here. If anything, you're going to sit out on the patio, and you're just going to be like, oh, man, in the shade. It's amazing, and no mosquitoes. Oh, it's just yep. so dreamy. In December, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Right now, peak July, no mosquitoes. Zero. Yeah. No, nothing, nothing can survive that weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything comes out at night here, man. You come out at night and shine a spotlight into the desert, and it is alive with creatures. It's a lot of icky stuff. If you don't like gross bugs, you know, tarantulas, yeah. scorpions, rattlesnakes, that kind of stuff, but lots of yeah, cool rodents man. and stuff, too, which I know Chris is a huge fan. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm going to come out and milk a jackrabbit this fall. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, I appreciate it. And uh, make sure you're tuning in to uh, it. We're going to continue to post things for the American Bear Foundation as, the, uh, as these issues develop. Make sure you're, uh, we'll share any information we have on the right to retrieve. And as always, any uh, issues that are coming up in your local uh states and things like that make sure you're sharing them on our group the houndsman xp podcast group or send us a message and we'll make sure that it's shared and uh, stay involved learn the process have a voice and make sure that you understand seth you got one last parting thought you got your hand up you're such a boy scout oh man i just want to be so respectful hey one quick thing, you guys. The Patreon page is happening, you guys, and I just want to say that there's some cool tailgate talks that will be coming out and have already come out. Um, everyone that listened to All Mixed Up, I had Brett Vaughn for two episodes on all kinds of stuff we talked about. But also, on tailgate, Chad, on tailgate talks on Patreon. They were yes, awesome. Tailgate talks on Patreon. They're bonus episodes for the patrons. Also, you guys, Chad Reynolds, the man of many talents, I had him on. And tailgate talks are supposed to be short. This one was almost an hour. Me and him can go forever. But it was a great one, you guys. So stay tuned. Um, there's awesome stuff on the Patreon page, videos of my dogs hunting, and uh, stuff from the team's behind-the-scenes Houndsman XP footage. And uh, I just want to let everyone know that uh, I'm pretty excited for some of these tailgate talks that have been coming out recently because the guests' quality, the, everyone, all my guests are good. But fans have been reaching out to me, and I've been talking to you guys which I love. That's my favorite part of working for Houndsman XP. So stay tuned, patrons. And if you haven't found us, 
check us out on Patreon. Yeah, when you get Chad Reynolds and Seth in the same same venue, <laughs> it needs to be a decaffeinated event. I'm telling you right now. You uh, could just distill our breath and make meth out of it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Heath, you got anything to close us out here, buddy? Nope. I'm going north tomorrow. Going to turn the dogs yep. loose. Uh, may, I'm so jealous. They may pass out, and I may pass out trying to catch them, but we're going to give it a whirl anyway. There you go. Make sure you're tuning in on Wednesdays for the journey. Heath has got – I mean, this is like <laughs> – if I if I was wanting to learn how to hit a baseball, this is like having Pete Rose on a podcast to tell you how to hit a baseball, you know, from the guests that that Heath is bringing to the show, and uh, Heath, you're doing a great job of boiling that down and bringing it back to things that are relevant to us as houndsmen. So I strongly recommend that that everybody uh, tune in Wednesdays and listen to that. Just because there's not a hound dog on the cover photo doesn't mean there's some not some pearls of wisdom packaged up in that thing that, that's going to make you a better houndsman, a better trainer, a better breeder, and just enjoy life more. Amen with that. That's right. Yep. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap this one up and just leave it with this. You follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.